Hey, welcome to the Transforming Life Church podcast. We hope this encourages you and inspires you in your journey with Christ. So sit back, relax, and check out this week's message. Tina, aren't you glad that when 
to shape their thinking, their actions, their behaviors in a way that aligns with his kingdom. I do a tremendous amount of community work in my church. I, I do a fair amount of counseling in my church. And I'm often amazed at the number of individuals that come to arise, come to me, and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And when I trace back the root, because we got to get to the root, not just deal with the fruit. we got to get to the root of what the issue is if we want to see life change. They weren't parenting. They didn't have anybody that would come alongside of them, biological or otherwise, and say, let me speak into your life. Let me love on you. Let, let me open up the word of God and let me show you a different way. But you and I have that power. You and I have that power to influence from the littlest to lowest. The other day I was working in my office and I overheard a conversation between one of our interns and our lead pastor's son, who's about seven years old. And she said to him, Elijah, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he responded just as casually as if she had asked him what he wanted for lunch. He said, it doesn't matter what I want to be. What matters is what God wants me to be. At seven years old, he got it. How? How did he get it? How is that such a truth for him? It was a truth for him because he had been influenced. It had been communicated to him. It had been lived out in front of him over and over and over. I taught my own daughter a similar sentiment. If I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. Baby girl, you can be anything that you set your mind to. You can be anything you want to be, but you will never be happy until you become who God wants you to be. You see, I believe that, that no matter whether you're a millennial, whether you're an empty nester, whether you're a senior in this room, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have been given the power to be an influencer. In fact, I want to break it down and say it this way. Got Jesus, got influence. It's just that simple. If you've got Jesus in your life, you've got influence to give away. And no matter what's going on in your life, no matter whether you're living what you think is the abundant life, no matter whether you're living what you feel like is a successful life, no matter if you feel like, okay, I've got it all together, if you've got Jesus, you've got influence. I want to show you this truth through the pages of Scripture. It's a story many of you may be familiar with, but if you're not or, or you just need a refresher, grab your Bibles, turn them on, open them up, whatever you need to do. And let's take a look at the book of Ruth. I want to root this in Scripture. I want us to see this passage through the lens of God's Word. And let's see what He would speak to us today. I'm going to turn to Ruth chapter 1. If you want to know where Ruth is in your Bible, just remember that Joshua judges Ruth. Shame on Joshua. Joshua judges Ruth. Old Testament, that's where you're going to find it. And we're going to open up to Ruth chapter 1. Let's read. In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Imamalek. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment. Moab had been an enemy to Judah. So for the fact that this family was going to go to an enemy's land tells you that life had to have been difficult. God had given them some rules, and he said, I don't want you to intermarry. They clearly did that. And so they are really living here as Christians, but a little bit outside of the abundance he has for them because they were not walking in obedience, complete obedience, to what he had communicated to them. But their sons married Moabite women, and after they had lived, 
Naomi was left with her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord show kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed him goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would, would you wait until they grew up? Okay, that's just kind of weird. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again, and then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God, and where you die, I will die, and they will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, and even death separation from me. And when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would reveal your heart through this story, Father. That you would pull back the scales from our eyes, that you would unlock our ears, that you would allow our minds to receive the word that you personally have for each of us, not just collectively, but personally. I release it, Father, in Jesus' name. You know, on the surface, this is a story about family, right? The story about family is in many ways, it's, it's a story about motherhood. Maybe not biological motherhood, but motherhood and family nonetheless. It's a story that reminds us that family matters. Maybe you're like me and you don't have much family. But you can make those around you family. Family matters. Even if that family has come together in a non-traditional way. But the story is about more than just family. It's more than just about the mother-daughter relationship. I want us to look at it through the lens on becoming a person of influence. Because I believe that the Lord truly came with, with a word today for someone. He's calling you. He's, he's inviting you. He is reaching out to you to commission you to become that person today. You see, when we look back to verses 6 and 7, we see that after going through such a personal trial, and let's face it, put yourself in the story for a moment, this family had been through a trial. First, Naomi's husband dies. And then her sons marry women that are not Hebrew women. And then her sons die. Now, you have to understand that to be a woman in that day without a husband, without having children, that would have placed them at the lowest place of the, the socioeconomic component of the culture. They would have been below anyone else because they didn't have someone to provide for them. And so 
options weren't available to her. And so having faced the reality that starvation could very well be their real story, she decides to make the trek back. Now, it's only about 50 miles. For you and I today, that's not any big deal. We get in our car and we travel 50 miles. But 50 miles on a donkey, 50 miles on a camel, 50 miles on foot, through very rocky, steep, dangerous terrain for three women without service, that would have been a big deal. Depending on how fast they traveled, it would have taken somewhere between seven and 10 days to go from where they were in Moab back to Judah. But in verse eight, we see that they started the journey They've headed out, they've packed up every belonging that they have, Naomi and her two daughters. They head out, and somewhere along the way, Naomi cries out, stop the camel! Stop the donkey! Everybody stop walking. This woman who just a day or so ago had the faith to say, okay, this is going to be a rough trip, but girls, we can do this. Okay, this is going to be hard, but put your sandals on, they're not going to wear out. I've got faith in this. This woman who just had this faith just a few days ago has now done a complete 180, and she has told these girls, not only do you need to stop, you need to go back. You need to go back. Now, that was a big deal, because when a widow became a widow, she didn't return to her father's house. So for her to say, go back to your father's house, was risky. But she must have felt like it was worth it. She must have felt like it would have been better for them to do that. And it makes you stop and you wonder, what happened? Like, what happened on that one-day travel or two-day travel? What happened to make her stop and now tell her daughters and tell her girls, stop and go back? Well, scripture isn't clear on this. We, we don't really know that that's one of the answers that we'll get when we get to the other side. But what scripture doesn't tell us, I think life experience might. You see in the movie theater of my mind, I see all these ladies riding on a camel together. I, I see them having a conversation together. I, I see them filled with a little bit of hope, a little bit of expectancy, and a whole lot of questions. And in my mind, I see as they navigate the terrain, Ruth and Orpah begin to ask Naomi questions like, when we get there, do you have friends that we can stay with? When you get there, is there anybody who, who will receive us? When we get there, who will feed us? Will your people accept us? I mean, we're Moabite women. Will they accept us? Will your God, your God, will he provide for us? And I have to wonder if maybe you've been in a place where Naomi is. Perhaps once upon a time, you started to invest in someone's life. You started to come alongside of them. Maybe it was in a ministry here at church. Maybe it was with someone in your family. Maybe it was someone in your workplace, in your community, in your classroom. You've been talking to them, you've taken them for coffee, you're answering a few questions, you've invited them to come to church with you, and all of a sudden, they start asking questions. Questions that, if you're being honest, you don't have answers to. Questions that, if you're being honest, you, you don't necessarily really want up to open up about. They want to know about your faith your struggles, and your challenges. And so in your own way, maybe you, like, like I have at times, like Naomi has, said, stop the cameras. I've gone as far as I can take you. I've poured into your life as, as much as I can give you. I, I, I need to back up now. But you've been there. You've been in that place where you think, what am I doing? Who am I that God would use me? to the life of another. I mean, after all, let's get real. We're all flawed, aren't we? We're, we're all hopelessly imperfect people. And it's not that we don't want to make a difference in someone else's life. It's not even that we're unwilling to try. It's just that somewhere on the journey, we become
become really aware of our shortcomings. We become really aware of our failings. And we serve a really real God that's encouraging us. But girls and guys, we have a really real enemy that wants to discourage us. I don't live that far away. I live in the Bloomingdale area. Between the time I got in my car and I got out here, I think I had rebuked the enemy about three times. I don't accept that thought. I reject that thought. Because God sees your purpose. And whether you're a mom or a dad or a student or a grandmother or a teacher or whatever you are, God sees what's in you. So does so somewhere on the journey, we become aware of our shortcomings, and we think, I need to step back. Because if I lean in any further, they're going to see what I'm made of. And what they see may not be as encouraging as we want them to be. But can I let you in on a little secret? Those people aren't looking for you to be perfect. Your children aren't looking for you to be perfect. Your students aren't looking for you to be perfect. They're looking for you to be present. They're looking for you to be present. They, they don't mind seeing our flaws, but they also want to know that, that we're relying on the God that we're talking about and that he's real, that he's real. I think the Apostle Paul said it best in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. He said, follow me. I follow Christ. It isn't that what being a disciple is all about. It just means that we're little Christ. Isn't that what being a mama is all about? That's why we say to them, this is what we do. But we don't say to them, do what I say, not what I do. Now, if you think about Paul's statement here for just a moment, follow me as I follow Christ. Come on, y'all, let's face it. That's a pretty bold statement, wouldn't you think? Almost even a little bit arrogant. But Paul knew something that sometimes we forget. That if we've got Jesus, we've got influence. We don't have to be perfect. We just have to point people to Jesus with our lives. Looking back at, at scripture, we see that Orpah decided to return to her family in Moab. But Ruth made a different decision. She made a decision to travel on with Naomi. Why would she have done that? Why would she choose to go to a land where nobody was going to know her, not knowing if they were going to be provided for, not knowing if they were going to be accepted, especially after Naomi just had a bitterness, firework, pity party, full-blown pity party. Why was she so influenced by this human woman? I believe that we see the answer in verse 16 when she says, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. And wherever you stay, I'll stay. Because your people will be my people and your God will be my God. What does she know about the Hebrews? What does she know about God? She had never experienced either herself. Or is it possible that she had? Is it possible that she had through the eyes of Naomi? Through the stories that Naomi shared with her? The Israelites were told through the prophet Joel not to let their stories of how God had moved in their life stop them. It says in Joel 1.3 that we're to tell it to our children and let our children tell it to their children and their children, their children. If you've ever had a mama who tells you the same story 12 times over, she's following scripture. If you're one of those mamas who tells the story over and over and over, you're following scripture. I believe that at night, maybe when the lights were dim and the stars were out, they would sit around the fire. And though Naomi didn't know God, she heard about, though Ruth didn't, she heard about it through Naomi's faith. And 
We need those that we're looking up to, those that we have seen, those that we're following. I have mentors in the faith that I have never met. I simply follow them because of their influence. Do you have people in your life that you are, are wanting to be like, that, that are walking in faith in such a way that it inspires you? You should have people that you're doing life with. They're, they're on your same level, right? You're, you're, you're on the same level. You're doing life with, you're encouraging each other. And then we all need people in our life that are looking up to us. That are looking up to us. That we get to take by the hand and say, walk with me. Just a matter of walking with people. And sharing stories with people. Isn't that the way Jesus did it? He walked with his disciples and he told them stories. He walked with his disciples and he told them stories. Stories about fishing. Stories about farming. Stories that make them think. Stories that make them feel. And when they asked him questions, he answered them honestly. Even when he knew that they wouldn't understand the answer. Right here. Right here on this campus, there are boys and girls that need you to step up. Right here on this campus, there are youth that need you to step up. Right here, there are men and women that need you to step up that are, are, are ready and begging and are praying, God, let somebody see me. Maybe they'll never come to this altar and ask for prayer, but their silent prayers, God, let them see me. I'm going through a hard time. I, I, I just need someone to talk to. There are people within these walls that are desperately in need of the influence that you can give them right here in this community. There are people that need you. Your hairdresser, your barber, your banker, people at Walmart. God knows everybody at Walmart needs Jesus. Speaker was 
Hey, thanks for tuning in this week. If you'd like more info about our church, if you'd like to make a donation to our ministry here at Transforming Life, go to www.tlchurchpc.com. If you haven't been to our church yet, we would love to meet you. Come by for a life-changing experience. God bless.